Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and this week's guest is a particularly special guest. This guest has declined countless invitations to come on the show, but I finally wore her down. She is an author. She's an educator in every form. She's a collector of master's degrees, a mother of six with an especially cute youngest daughter. Welcome to the show, Dr. Firyal Rashid, Mama. Mm-hmm. Good evening. Mom, it's 3 p.m. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good day. Good day? Okay, yeah. Good day to you, sir? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I finally got you... I'm not a collector of master. I earn master and PhD. So oh. Just to, to correct that. Yeah, go ahead. Um. Okay, so clarification. She did not collect them like Pokemon. <laughs> she earned them... Through writing... Pennsylvania and uh, Florida, Orlando. Um, Yeah, so she's... Mom, everyone knows everything about you, by the way. I I talk about you all the time. So everyone already knows about your collection of degrees that you worked very hard for. And you would take me to Toys R Us and write your thesis while I picked out Barbies. Yes. And Chick-fil-A. Yeah. Um, So... Everyone already kind of has a general idea of the type of cool, edgy lady you are, but the reason I wanted to have you on especially right now is because I think it's more important than ever that people hear stories of Palestinian people, specifically those where they lived through everything that's going on right now, to give people a better understanding of what that experience is like and what Palestinians are experiencing every single day. And it's just, it's a great way for people to be able to relate and hopefully empathize and, you know, help them fight for their rights and for justice. So let's start at the very beginning. I'm going to expose you right now. So you were born in Gaza in 1948. Actually, I was born in Beersheba. Mom, what? Where is that? <laughs> Mom. Palestine, you know, before uh, we were kicked out. I mean, I don't know actually exactly. They said Hebrew, Beersheba, but not in Gaza. You were not born in Gaza? According to my passport, it's Hebrew. According to my parents, I mean, in Palestine, you can say. But where? Somewhere. <laughs> Mom, what is this mystery? Where were you born? I mean, according to my passport, I told you in Hebrew, Khalil. Al Khalil? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But according to, like, reality? My, past, my uh, birth certificate, too. But I lived all my life in Gaza. Like, that? Like, not all my life, like, till I became 16. Till you were 16? Yeah. Okay, we're, clearly there's a lot of things that you've never told me that yeah, we're going to discover. Sure, yeah. So apparently you weren't even born in Gaza. You were born somewhere else. Yeah, in Hebrew. What does in Hebrew mean? Like, Al-Khalil. Al-Khalil. So it's a place called Al-Khalil. That's yeah. where you were born? Yes. Did you confirm this with anyone? No, not really. Okay. Uh, as you can see, she's very nonchalant about this, so we're going to keep it moving. So you were born in Al-Khalil. No, yes. In 1948. So this 1949. was... 1949. 1949, after the Nakba. No, yes. So how, at this point, Israel is technically established. The uh, Israeli... Zionists have already taken control. 
that's when uh, the Nakba started in 1948, when they kicked the Palestinians out of their country. So my parents were among them that were kicked out of, um, after I was born in Khalil, I think they lived in Beersheba, and they have big, many like 500 acres in Beersheba, according to my parents and my grandparents. And like uh, all other Palestinians, they were kicked out. So we went to Gaza, where my grandfather was uh, kind of like um, Mukhtar, which is uh, like a mayor of the the place that we they used to live there. So they gave us like they div he divided his uh, the land that he has among all the one that came the Rashid family, and uh, instead of living in a tent, otherwise other. People were living in tents. So you were also a refugee? I am a refugee, yeah. Okay. I, I want to be clear that the surprise in my voice is because I found out about a month ago that my dad was a refugee, which yeah. I had not known before. Mm -hmm. And I'm now finding out that you were also a refugee. Yes. Which are. I did not know. No, we are. I am a refugee. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for, for letting me know. Yeah, yeah. And, and letting everyone so, uh, know, you we, mysterious woman. No, I mean, because, I mean, we lived, I mean, I lived my life in Gaza, so I can say I am from Gaza, but actually we are refugees. Like, there are some people who are in, who were already in Gaza, like my grandfather from my mom's side was already, his land was in Gaza, and part of it was beyond the border, beyond the Israeli border right. or whatever they have they divided it. You can see it even, you go, like, travel five miles. My grandfather used to say, this is my land. Like, it's be behind the, the fence that they put, the whatever. Like put. the blockade? Uh, not blockade. Is, they put, like, a, a wall or, like, a okay. border or whatever. Um, and somehow um, in Arabic they say, a slag shaika, whatever. Barbed wire. Something, yeah. yeah. Like so. Um, so, so you were not born in Gaza. You mm -hmm. were born in Al Khalil, mm -hmm. and you moved to Gaza as a refugee. I did not move. We were kicked out. <laughs> Correct. I mean, moved. It means you just decide to move. You did not move. That's a hundred percent true. You were violently expelled from your home yeah. and turned into a refugee. Yeah. How old were you? Do you have any idea? Oh, like a baby. Or uh, it was, I mean, we lived to Gaza when I was, um, I was born actually, my parents were kicked out and I think for some reason they moved to Khalil at the beginning and then I was born and then we, we just, they lived to Gaza. Okay. And you're the oldest child. You're the first born. I am the oldest child. Yes. Yeah. So you're the first born. You then, you moved to Gaza while you're very young. One year, one year. Yeah. What are... This is an open-ended question, but what are some of your earliest childhood memories as a refugee child living in Gaza? Um, refugees, children, you cannot call them children because they're actually deprived from any childhood memories. You know, just we didn't live like a normal life. Poverty, uh, wars... Um, you name it. I mean, everything like a miserable child can live at that time. Um, people were kicked out, live, lived in tents for some time till the United Nations, uh, came and built them like camps. 
like in Jabalia, in Sirat, in some areas like that, in um, Shatit, which is the the beach next to the beach. And uh, then they started giving them kind of food, like this, some kind of the necessity food, like flour, rice, something like that. Uh, then they built a school, the United Nations built schools. So I had all my education in uh, refugee schools, elementary, middle school, and high school. And, you know, like you see kids like barefoot, bare, you know, they cannot, they cannot afford even food to eat. They don't have any, like our ba- backpack used to make be made out of cloth, you know, if we are lucky, and some they don't. Um, like very, very like um, miserable childhood, you can tell. And even if we used to play outside, our games were like Israel, like we play two games, like we play two teams, one team is Israel, one team is Palestinian, and start throwing rocks and stuff like that. So our life was kind of this way. I mean, uh, Palestinian, they got too many children, so the houses or after that the houses are so small the kids are crowded in the house poverty diseases they used to um to uh, like give us give us milk in the morning and they put some vitamin i guess vitamin d or who something. did like the united nations the united at the school Nation, yeah. and then spray our hair with the um, like for the bugs and to stuff. make sure you don't have lice and exactly, stuff yeah yeah exactly so it's like a trauma, it's like traumatized. I mean, we were traumatized. We don't know, as young kids, we don't know why they are doing that and what's going on. And no one's our explaining parents, it to you. Our parents do not let us sit and say, okay, these are Israel, this is what they did, you have to hate them. They never say that. That's they only tell with dignity that we are poor, like as you say, but we have lands, we have houses. Like my mother, you... When she left, she said, I left only, they were still building the house because they're newly married. And she just, she took with her only like handmade stuff that she made by herself, like bed cover or curtain or some clothes that handmade. She used to be skilled in handmade stuff. And she was thinking like, oh, we're going to be out for some time and then the war stopped and they will go back. So they never had in their mind that they will never... And this is during the Nakba. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. you know, the, when the Nakba started. But maybe, I mean, like, some scenarios are worse than other scenarios. You know, at least my grandfather was in Gaza, so mm-hmm. we had a house. We have a room. I mean, I cannot say a house. But other people, it was, uh, like, uh, below zero degree in January, my, my aunt used to say. And they used to have tent, you know, at the beach, like, you know, in the cold weather. And that was that was where and they lived. Of course, many kids died, many babies, many ladies. I mean, death, out of diseases and poverty. I mean, miserable life. I mean, I can say, I mean, I don't want even to to go back and remember these days and try all the time to delete it from my memory. So, like, to keep my heart clear and not have to have that much hatred, but. I mean, the, I mean, I can't remember one time my aunt, she was a school principal. This was in Jabalia camp. And I was 12 at that time, maybe, or 13, I'm not sure. She, I went with her, so she told me to go for one class because one teacher is absent. 
just to to supervise the kids. So I mean, I remember I was just crying because the kids they don't have shoes, they don't have things. And how old were you? Maybe twelve or thirteen at that time. It was the poorest um, camp in Gaza, Jabalia camp. Like people, like kids, were like regularly come to school barefoot. Like they they don't have uh, clothes or shoes or anything. They don't have any like they, even the bare necessities. Yeah, they don't. No, they don't. You know. And, you know, the United Nations used to give them some stuff, but actually not maybe enough. So it, it is a kind of uh, when very, did you, very sad memory. When did you realize that being a Palestinian and be, or being born as a Palestinian meant that there were people in your country that hated you and wanted you gone. When when do when did you make that connection that like these people hate us and they want uh, us gone? I mean, I mean, although our parents have not can't sit with us and say, "Oh, these people are bad. You have to hate them." No, no. In spite of that, the idea of your parents to tell you we were kicked out mm -hmm. and our, we had a house, we had a. a like 500 acres, and now we don't have even five, I mean, like five meters. And, you know, by itself, like, the kid will wonder what is going on. And then when you start going to school, of course, the curriculum and the thing is about all about our land. Mm -hmm. It's about our land. We started with the famous song, like we say it every day, Aidun, Aidun, we will return, we will return. And my uncle was the poet of this song. We used to say it every day. And every year we used to do the um, the rallies and demonstration about the Nakba and stuff. So I li we lived this, and in the morning, like assembly, our assembly was all about Palestine, all about returning back. It's all about occupation. Uh, it's all about all these kind of thing. The the teachers talk about it. I mean, so we were full aware that it is it's a case. It's a, like a, a big thing. I mean. That happening in in the history of humankind that some people, innocent people, sitting down in their homes and they're all of a sudden like uh, they are. I mean, I don't want even they cannot even defend themselves. They were asked or forced to leave. Some people were very rich and they lost all their land. Some people they lost, some people they even left their kids behind. Some people they were between like. They were in Gaza while the rest of the family were in Palestine, and then they put the border and they couldn't see each other. I mean, many, many uh, sad stories, and I found out about this in 1956, maybe I was eight or nine. Yeah, nine maybe years old, second grade. Um, and uh, two soldiers came, Israeli soldiers, came to the house, they're knocking at the door asking about someone. Like, do you know this name? Uh, he said, yeah, we know. The house is there. We were pointing to the house. And the guy, I mean, all of a sudden we heard some screaming and we went to see what's going on. The guy fainted. The guy, the owner of the small house or the room or whatever. And we found out that these two soldiers were his kids, but they were left behind because he was in another area. They were in another area and he lost them. He didn't have contact. And in 1956, when Israeli occupied Gaza, 
then he found out, you know, about his kids. Many stories like that, you know, many stories like that. I witnessed some of the stories. So he found out that his children were dead. He found out that these soldiers are his children. What does that mean? What do you mean? Like he left his wife and his kids and they became like they have the nationality. Like the Arab... They of, became Israeli... Yeah, like the, uh, the 1948 got citizen. Got it, got it. So they are. They have to do the... They, they have to... They have, to, they be have a, to be to be in the military. Right. You know, the other story is my, my one lady that I know her very well. They were very rich in Yaffa. And her mom was... She has to have the baby. So she went to Gaza, to Khan Yunus, actually... To have her, to have the baby too, so her family can help, and her dad was in Yaffa, and he was very like business successful land. He has too many uh, shops, shops in there in um, in Yaffa, and then the war happened, and she stayed in Khanunis, and he stayed in Jaffa, and didn't hear anything about him, and she has to raise her daughter by herself, you know, after being very very rich to being nothing, have not even the barely. The minimum. Uh, I mean, they, people who are living in poverty. Yeah, I mean, these are examples, but like, it's not example like exceptional. Like most of right. people were this living this life, you know. I mean, it was. It was of, just levels of poverty, but everyone yeah, is in poverty. Know, but it's like everybody. levels and of levels poverty. It's like worse to worse. It's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Nobody can say live average or even kind of a little bit below average. Because I remember you used to tell me when I was little that you used to eat like olive oil, bread, and salt. Olive oil. And I thought you were joking. Like I genuinely thought that you were just joking. If somebody has olive oil, it means it's fine. But we, you know, the students used to have like bread with salt or bread because we get it from the United Nations. That's what we get. We got the... The 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 sugar sugar so they put some sugar, like you can say that the, like the pancake now but it's bread, and all salt and if somebody has a lemon I mean I don't know why they used to actually eat lemon till now I don't know because maybe they have a tree a lemon tree somewhere, yeah. and if somebody has cheese that's oh they are very rich or somebody has tomato or cu- uh, cucumber like something like we're free granted everybody can have it. That could be, you can consider it, you know, rich people. But, you know, I mean, of course, that caused health problems. Right. With anemic. Most of the children were anemic. That's why they used to give us the medicine. They put the, the medicine in the milk, and I used to throw it away because it's disgusting. Mom. And then one time I was about to throw it away, and then my head hit the, the, the thing that they put the milk on. You fainted? No, it hit my oh. I had to have stitches because I don't like it. It was disgusting. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I mean, uh, actually, very sad. I mean, childhood. this this is definitely a huge bummer, like, for you sure. Know, and the thing is, when 1956, when the war happened, my father was not in Gaza. He was in in uh, Saudi Arabia, One, you know, among the first who came went to Saudi Arabia looking for better life or uh, income or something. And uh, we were alone with our mom, and well, we were four of us, two, uh, two, two girls, two boys, two girls, two boys, yeah, two girls, we were four of us, and we had to evacuate our house, uh, our very small house, because we were under attack to an area that's far, a little bit far, at that time they didn't have the, 
like F-16 or F whatever, otherwise no place will be safe. And we used to walk over dead body, like dead body all over the place, like, and we were under uh, fire and not cannot find a safe place to hide even. Uh, school were closed for two or three months. We were eating, uh, you know, whatever, like only maybe bread, paper, like the red paper or whatever, uh, salt, you know, nothing. Like they, they have nothing. We, nobody's working. We are, under, uh, you know, occupied. And uh, I mean, I used to witness the. They put the men uh, 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 at the wall, standing, and they shoot them like they are nothing. Like they are. Insects, even not birds. Um, I witnessed um, two two young kids in 1956. The boy was maybe three years old. The girl was maybe four, a little bit four and something. They we came on a on a cart, you know, covered with the blood. They came to to our neighbor, which is I think she was she was their aunt, their aunt, the lady. After their parents were killed, uh, and they stayed like three days, their parents are killed, and they're just around their parents till they find out that, you know, somebody found out. Because the area, their house was in a, a little bit a distant area or um, um, a remote area, away from residential area. So I witnessed that. I witnessed uh, shooting people. I witnessed... Uh, uh, you know, although I'm not like person who goes and see like maybe somebody else see even more than me because I mean, I was you know mainly focusing still on my study and my reading and my stuff. Although school were closed, but uh, you know some areas also like the camps, like Jabalia camps and Surat camps, all they are just more involved in. Uh, than maybe somebody who lived in Gaza since my grandfather was there. But it's not comparison good to, to bad, but it's comparison worse, bad to worse, something like that, you know. Like everybody was suffering, not even one person was not suffering, you know. Do you remember, like, as a child, like, do you remember being, like, were you... Were you scared? Were you allowed? Like, like what was the environment? Like, were you just kind of, like, trying to, like, how can I remove myself or try to find something or like how how did you handle when when I when mean, there was heavy shelling and 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 all of these things happening? What what did you do? The only solution for uh, for the kids at that time they don't have counselor or stuff like you know the thing therapist or whatever. Like parents support the parents are very very supportive. They're always trying to tell us, okay, don't get scared from them. They are not scary. And actually, they, whatever they have, somehow we have in our hearts, we're not scared from you. Because we are the people who have the right. And you are taking our rights. You know, it's not the opposite. So maybe they were more even scared from us, although we didn't have anything. Like we used to play in the street and a, a tr tank of Israeli passed by. And they get scared from us. We were like children, you know, and they have all these machines and all these things. Of course, I mean, the attack and come, I mean, it's not like uh, the kids will not be screaming and yelling when they see somebody loaded with the guns and stuff like that. 
But our parents, I mean, they told us from the beginning, or they keep, like, making us strong, you know, not, like, fragile kids, because they don't have any other choice. And the thing that make us also, um, you know, not focusing on this thing is our study. Like, the kids were very resilient in their study. So whatever bad circumstances around them, you don't even have a space to sit and study in it. Still, kids are high achiever, and you know, and the study studying was or education was the best solution or the only solution at that time for them. Actually, did it feel like a way of like escaping your yeah, reality? Yeah, it is like it is like therapy. It is like therapy for you. You just focus on your study, on your homework, and forget all the world. Like the the phone for the kids now, like the the social media or the phone or whatever. Or the games that they play. So you were, it's it's a form of like disassociating. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Except for children disassociate from nothing. Yeah, now. exactly. Competition. And the school was the first, the only secure, not secure, the only escape from small houses and, um, you know, crowded houses with five, six kids in the house and. You know, like you go to school, you feel you are achieving a goal that, you know, you don't know what's a goal even. But you're achieving something, daily something. Like, in our goal was, okay, I'm going to have a test, I'm going to have high score. That's the main, that's the maximum goal that I have. What after? I really don't know. What I'm going to do? I don't know. What is the future? I really don't know. I mean, like, I have zero, I, I had zero... Zero hope that I'm gonna go to college or to continue my education. That was not even in my mind. But my father, he loved education, so he always, always tell me, "Oh, I want you to graduate from Britain and have the highest degree." And I said, "Why he's dreaming? What is he talking about? I mean, I don't see any means that can tell me, you know, you're gonna even go." across Gaza's borders. So what is he talking about, Britain and, you know, this? But he was a dreamer, and he was supportive. I mean, my mom busy with the kids, a very uh, quiet person, but I'm sure she wants us to be successful, but she doesn't know what is the goal, what we're going to be, because, I mean, they're even deprived from their dreams. Like, we were deprived from our dream or... To think beyond uh, anything, like not even, the, uh, I mean, we were not, we were deprived from everything. I mean, any, even kid dream. Yeah, that's the. Uh, so, you, 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 even till now, it's very clear to me the way you talk about education, you do view it very much so as like a tool of um, kind of achievement and also like giving yourself a future and I understand now why you feel that way about it because to be honest with you when I was in school in elementary school and stuff and you were like obsessed with me that's what I would say you were like obsessed with me like studying and stuff I was like why do you I mean I I get why you care you're a parent but like the way you cared was very like uh amplified I guess education was the only out, you know. Right, it, it makes solution. sense. And that's one thing. I mean, I appreciate education even if it's not the only, but I mean, I believe the education can take person to higher 
degrees of knowledge and things. But that time, education was for us our life. Like, you know, we don't have any kind of luxury. We don't have any kind of nothing. I mean, we don't have, I mean, I, thought, I, mean, I think we were lucky because we were just focusing on studying, education, and our parents never teach us to feel sorry for ourselves or to, like, you know, to give up. You know, they teach us to be resilient and to be very stubborn. Like, I remember when I get my report card, my father looked at it and he said, oh, you're the first, the top students, the top students in your class or in the <laughs> school? So he always make me, like, let me think, you know, it's not enough. It's not enough. I mean, I didn't take it at that time negatively because I really want to have more, you know. Now, these days, if you tell a kid this way, he said, oh, you're not happy, whatever I do. No, we didn't have that. So that could be... I don't like you mocking me, Mom. Yeah, that's positive thing that we always look for more and more and more achievement because we have nothing. I mean, just somebody, you know, so they build in us strength, moral strength, for sure we had it from, I mean, I'm talking about my parents and... Many, many, many kids, they have the same, you know, self-satisfactory. Like we study for only to satisfy ourselves. I mean, not for a degree, not to find a job, not to go to Harvard. No, no, just for to please ourselves and for self-satisfactory. So we were self-motivated, you know, actually self-motivated. Um how? They they didn't say if you have it if you have ten out of ten I'm gonna buy you this no they never we never had this uh, you know external motivation you know it's only internal there was no like incentive there was no I mean, like I mean our parents were like you know pushing us to have to be high achiever like they and at the same like not pushing us you know when you are put in a situation that you have nothing and you want to have something. The only thing you can control is your education and your grade and you have a good report card at the end of the year. I mean, that will make you happy. You know, maybe you'll have a piece of candy at the end or and, or something like that, you know. So how did you eventually go to college? How did that happen? Uh, when I had the high school, I mean... Um, it was, uh, you know, I'm all, I mean, I don't want to brag about myself, but I was always <laughs> top student. And then uh, for high school, I was the top student in all Gaza Strip, like the top, the number one students in Arabic. But like actually in Ula, not like the way people are like, oh, no, 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 my no. kid is the number one. Like you were actually yeah, number and that's one. That's why so I was, um, the, the United Nations gave me two choices. Either you work as a teacher in the United Nations School for Refugees, or you go to college, and they give me, and they will cover all, like a like a scholarship. Okay, give so me a scholarship to finish my education, either in Egypt or I don't know if it's Syria or Lebanon at that time, and Britain actually, my father dream. But I mean, at that time, you know, you know, my age it was like how a girl can. Get how old out. were you? I was 16, you know, okay. at that time. So everybody like, okay, you want to send your daughter to Egypt? I mean, we don't. Have, I mean, like, you know, this kind of cultural things. 
my father was quiet and he didn't say anything uh, although he needed the money but he did he knows that my dream is I have big dreams what are the dream I don't know like but I mean always want to be more something more and he actually at the same time he wants that so after the school the college was open maybe for two weeks I was delayed like two weeks uh, late for two weeks I went to to Egypt I was why did you decide to go to Egypt because this is the closer okay closer. so you decided to go to the closest yes yeah so that my parents can visit I can visit stuff like it's like six well, hours. well yeah you were 16 yeah six hours away so I went to Cairo University and I mean there you don't choose that the major they put what? you in major <laughs> because I was you know first I mean my score was very high so they put me in political science and economics. What? So uh, I was in Cairo University. I stayed for two weeks, and then I told my dad, my father, I don't want to be in this college. I, I mean, what for? I'm studying political science. I mean, what for? I don't even have a country. So to be, you know, so I really I don't want this measure, and I don't like the university because it was mixed and, um, you know, when you say mixed, do you mean like men and women? Men and women, big university, like Egypt, I am from Gaza, small town, going to Egypt. It was a shock for me. Right. So I couldn't stand it. I couldn't adjust at all with the, with the environment there. Too many people from very small place to a huge place, like moving from village to New York. You know, so I was young. So I told him I I want to change, and it was easy for me to change because... I mean, Cairo University was the top university, and only the one who accepted there are the one who have high scores. So I could move to Ain Shams. So I moved to Ain Shams. Uh, that is another a, university? A school, a school for girls only. And I studied English language, and that was the other shock for me. Because although I was the top student, still my vocabulary in English were very limited. I don't know Shakespeare. I don't know how to read a novel. I, you know, my vocabulary. I was in Arabic school, so it was very, very, very difficult for me. So I told my father. I mean, I sent him. I mean, that time I don't even have a phone. So he said Telegram. I want to change transfer from English to Arabic because Arabic is my passion. Arabic language is my language. Is my passion. I love it. I write poetry. I mean. It will be very easy for me. So he he refused. He said, you stay in English. You study another language. I mean, I suffered like for three months. I mean, the professor used to come speak in English. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know who's teaching what. I don't know what topic. I don't know what subject. I don't have any books. There is only one library, one bookstore in Egypt called Oxford, I think. And uh, no books. They don't have the novels or the the, the the nothing. I mean, they don't have any books. So I have to go to to Al Azbakiya's market for books. I mean, they put the books on the floor. The weekend, I stayed from morning till sunset looking for books for Shakespeare, till I found some translation. Actually, I took the dictionary. I started memorizing the dictionary from A to Z. I mean, I used to not to sleep maybe two hours a day. To, I mean, stay two pages. Shakespeare, I used to stay like one night reading two pages. I don't know what they're talking about. 
they don't have movies to watch, so I can understand what's going. It was a struggle. I mean, a lot of struggle. And you know, one of the professor used to say, "Whoever comes from Arabic school, you, I advise you to leave, go study something else." Most of the students were from uh, from Egypt, and they were either in British school or American school. So they know. So they went to school in English. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we were like a few. We were maybe about 10 coming from Gaza studying English. Eight of, nine of them actually left. Maybe I was the only one who left in English because, I mean, my father, he said, no, you don't. You're not going to transfer. And, you know, for me, it became a challenge. And since our parents really taught us when we were young to challenge circumstances, I mean, we went through the hardest ship of war and things and poverty and all these things. So maybe can pass it. So, you know, I, you know, finished. Then after the first year, you know, I mean, I got uh, good grades and it was fine. I passed. Then we supposed to go to visit my family. And we're looking forward. We were four, four students at that time. That suppose we got tickets to go by train to Gaza. Uh, when I finished my exams, I went to my. I had a room, a room, a special room because I was on a scholarship, and they live in a, in a big bigger space, but where seven students live at the same time in the dorm, you know, in the dorm in, in, the, in the college. So I went to you know to visit them, and I think I fell asleep because I was tired from exam. So we missed the train next morning. You know, and I have the ticket. And that day, next day, we left, and it was the war of uh, 1967 war. So I witnessed this war in the train. And since then, I didn't get the chance to see my families for five years. You know, I finished my education. I finished my degree, and then I went to work in Bahrain after five years. Wait, I don't, wait, hold on. So I, I want to rewind really quickly. So you finished your first year of college. Yes. And you tried to take a That's train. That's June 5th, yeah. You tried to take a train we to go visit. And I want you to talk about your experience on the train because you've told me this before and I think it's definitely something worth sharing. We the train. I mean, we, of course, I'm. I mean, we have, Maybe left over. I have ten genie pounds in my pocket, and that was something good because I used to take like eight, 15 pounds Egyptian pounds at that time was a big thing. So I had some money. I got some um, sweets for my young siblings, and then I left with no money because I'm going to see my family. So in the war, I mean, then we heard, we see airplanes and we see things as it was going on. We turn on the radio and they said this war. And we, I mean, they were saying, okay, we're going back to Jerusalem, going to Palestine. The news, I mean, of course, the misleading news. So we were like happy, oh, instead of going to Gaza, we're going to go to Jerusalem and Jaffa and I don't know what. And, you know, we slept that night. Uh, I guess it was the 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 the, the aeroplanes were uh, you know uh, all over the place. I don't know if they were Israeli or Egyptian or whatever. We don't know. The news says something, and we see something else. Then they said you have to evacuate the train at night uh, because they may be like bomb the train. 
So at that time, I was, we were tired. All of us. So were, you were on the train, and yeah. the train like conductor person said, "Hey, we're gonna evacuate." Yeah, and I think when they said that, I was sleeping because I was tired from how much crying we were crying. We were four students going to Gaza, four girls, my, my friends. So, it, I mean, for me, unfortunately, I mean, they said, okay, let's go, let's go. I think they told me, we, we told you, let's go, let's go. And they left because everybody wants to save his life. But I think I was deep asleep. And when I woke up, it was so dark and nobody was in the train. That was another trauma that really I have. I have in the train. Could the train could be bombed at that time while I wasn't the only one in the train. Uh, next day, they said go back to the train during the day, and we're moving now. So I wait. See, pause. Mm. So you wake up on the train alone. Where did you go? What did you I do? I start screaming, of course. And when I started screaming, there were guards and everywhere around because of the war. And Egyptians. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was in Ismaili and Egypt. So I don't want to say that some guy who was a th I don't want to talk about that because that's something uh, like uh, uh, somebody who tried to take advantage of war and tell us to give you his mon money and uh, gold and whatever. <coughs> so uh, we went down, you know, we went back to the train and next day the train was moving. So when, you, when the train moves, we don't know if it's going forward to Gaza or going backward to Egypt. So we're looking at each other and say, the train is going back. I mean, it's not going. So they said, no, 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 we're going down to Jerusalem. I mean, Jerusalem, what? Then we found out that we're going back to to Egypt. So the train took we, you guys back to Egypt? To Egypt, yes. So, and uh, then you just, you didn't see your family for five years? No, I didn't see them. And we went back. Why couldn't you see your family? Because we went to Egypt. Then uh, everybody, like, you know, the girls, like, in the train, we were four in one room, in one in like a cabin, cabin, and the other were all over. So some girls were like did not finish their classes. I mean, some of them were in different universities or not in different universities, in different majors. So some they went to, to their brothers, some to their relatives, like because they emptied the dorm. And at that time, I didn't know that. This is when you came back to school when I came to campus. Back, I decided to go back to the dorm. And when I went to the dorm, they said, it's military now, and nobody's allowed in. So, and I didn't have money to even to, 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 to take a taxi, and the taxi also, uh, you know, they don't go because it was next, this university was closer to the airport. And all, all the, 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 the fire was in this area, all the bombing and stuff. So we went there, and they said no, we, nobody's allowed. So there was another house for, you know, across the road from, the from college and from the from my dorm because the dorm was at the same the same place. You uh, lived on campus, and campus. this was like a, and this was an off-campus dorm. Yeah, a little bit like you know, thirty seconds away. Okay. So I went there, and there was this lady. I said, okay, can I sleep in this place because I don't know where to go? She said, yeah, of course, because it was war and stuff. And at night, I woke up, and this this family, they left. So I was again. <laughs> you just keep sleeping and waking up and no, being I completely mean, it alone. It was war, and I mean, when you're traumatized, either you stay awake or I think you're knocked down. So I think I am the person who got knocked down. So, and they were in another room, 
and it was dark, no electricity, so I don't know if they were in the room or in their rooms or not, but when the light on, I mean, I went around the house and there was no one there because they left the area. It was a dangerous area. You know, I don't think they will take me with them. I don't know. I don't think so. So, uh, I mean, I lived in this this place by myself for three days till the international um, uh, lady for advisor, you know, she was looking to see, you know, what's going on. So she went to the dorms and she went to the 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 houses next to the to college to see if some other students are there. And they moved me to um, another dorm that was in Doki in Egypt, you know, and I stayed there for, I mean, I don't know how long, a month maybe or so till they open again the... Um, the hostel. But so. why weren't you able to go back and visit your family? Was it blocked? Like, yeah, you yeah, were yeah, unable? Yeah, no, yeah. I was not able to go there for... I finished my education completely. So, yes, yeah, so you completed your undergraduate degree in English literature. And then I went to Bahrain. You got a job as a professor in Bahrain. As a teacher. As a teacher. A high school teacher. Uh, you can't go. I mean, there's, you, you can't. I mean, after four years, they allowed us to go by Red Cross. Like, uh, when I... Went to Bahrain, there were no, I mean, even we cannot con- communicate with them, no phones. We used to go to the, um, you know, say, you know, broadcasting, like, I am Friel, I mean, my family's in Gaza, I am, like, say, like, you know, give messages on the radio, by okay. radio, send messages by audio radio. And hope that they hear it. Yeah, I hope that they, you know, I mean, of course, I mean, the news that went to my family when the day I left, it was June 5th, the, the, the day that I left to Gaza. Or that you the, tried to leave to Yeah, I mean, by, I mean, they told my father that, okay, your, your uh, daughter died in Sinai, and we saw her body and stuff like that. They told my father and the other girl's father, parents thinking that we were dead. So my father, he said, I don't think my daughter, you know, was in a car or a bus and she I told her to come by train and the train the you know they don't usually you know uh, bomb that the train or um, so he was sure not sure I mean in denial maybe that my daughter is not dead and that's after that he sent my brother to Jordan to see if I'm alive or not alive and uh, by radio, I think they heard my name. We so to... your parents thought you might be dead for a period yeah, of time. Yeah, they, they thought I am dead, yeah. They, I mean, they didn't believe 100% because they didn't have funeral or anything. But there was a possibility. Yeah, you know. You know there's Because my father sent me a letter that's, uh, right before the war. He said, we are expecting war, so don't come by car or by bus. Come by train. So I went by train, you know. But, I mean, if you say F, it's supposed to be, like, I'm supposed to travel a day before the war. But I overslept. I guess, I mean, that's the the luck or that's the destiny that they're talking about. Um, and then I went to Bahrain for a, for a year and a half, almost two years. And then I went back to Gaza. In 1972. And at my, that point, how old were you? I got married. 
How, how old were you? Uh, 22, 23. So you hadn't seen your parents from the age of 16 to 23? Uh, yes. Yeah. So um, I haven't seen them. So I went by, at that time, the border was Jordan. We went by Jordan, not by Egyptian border. And, uh, you know, and after getting married, we, we decided to go to... To Gaza, my husband uh, was you know, a medical doctor. He finished his education in, in Egypt. So we went to Gaza by Red Cross, by train Red Cross. At that time, they opened, you know, you know, you can't go. Like the border was open, you can by, enter. From Egyptian uh, border, Israeli. I mean, it's mainly they were Israeli, not even Egyptian people there. You go by Egyptian and then you go to Israeli by Red Cross. You know, supervised by Red Cross. And I worked as a teacher there. In Gaza? Uh, and my husband as a... In the where Shif did you... Shifa hospital. Where were you a teacher? What did you teach? I was teaching English language in uh, Shahid Mustafa Half of the school, high school. Uh, it was next to my house. It's just, you know, one minute walking. And, uh, I mean, again, it's another experience of... Because Gaza was occupied at that time. It was the seventy, the Harp October, October War. So I witnessed that, and it was occupied. And when I go to school, I used to go to, to my work, like Israeli tank all over the place, and, you know, at the door, and then inside the classes, and all over. Like complete the, military yeah, occupation. Yeah, military, yeah, military, you know. And, you know, many incidents happen, you know, that I witnessed me, there, um, again, with the, the suffering of my students, they are traumatized with the war and where their parents are taken to prison or their, their brothers are killed or you know, like many, 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 many stories, you know, of my students. I mean, I used to be more counselor than teacher, you know, at that time. And uh, two years we, we, we worked there. It was very tough, you know, very tough years. We decided to finish our education and go back to Egypt. So we went back to Egypt when my husband studied his master, and I studied a uh, master also of secondary education in Egypt. Well, at that time, I had my one daughter in Gaza and uh, my first child, and then I got the other one in Egypt. I really like that you just refer to Menor as the other one. <laughs> you know, yeah, my uh, my first one in <laughs> my first one in Gaza, my second, I can't believe Khulud was born in Gaza. And the second one in Egypt, the third one, where was it born? Mom. <laughs> uh it was oh, in, in Kuwait, fourth one in Kuwait and two in uh, America. You can't tell you the whole story. That's how stable our life is. Like Gaza, Egypt, uh, Kuwait, uh, America. That's you know normal life of a Palestinian. No stability. Yeah. I mean, even though you only lived in Gaza for such a small portion of your life, do you still feel like that's your home? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, that's the roots of your family. That's, uh, 
you know like I remember one of our family my last name Rashid you know he I mean I remember him at that time I was a child he was 100 years old so at that time if he's you know if he were living now it will be in 170 years that's you know how our roots are in in Palestine it's not like they claim that's not it is our land it's our grandparents it's our ancestors hundreds of years were in Palestine and they have everything they have good life they have lands they have things and they're all of a sudden it's just kicked out and they have to live with it I don't know what the world expects from them to do like to accept it or to resist it or you know they have no many choices you know they don't have any many choices you know we don't have hatred like hatred as hatred but we have like feeling pain that's not fair you know like I always say it's not fair you know to be kicked out even if you're in the house and somebody come and tell you okay get out of this house you know you know, I'm the owner, I want you to leave now. And if it's rented house, you said, okay, just give me a chance. I mean, you know, don't force me. And like, But this is your home, this is your land, this is your house, this is your memories, this is your ancestor uh, land, and somebody kick you out and, you know, um, displace you with somebody else, you know. I mean, it's kind of, you know, brutal and uh, not fair. I mean, I I agree with everything that you're saying. There's nothing about it that's fair or legal, for that matter. It's everything that's happening yeah. is is very much so illegal. Um, but I mean, even even after all of this time, if you could go back and live in Gaza, would you go live there? I mean, after having kids and grandkids over here, it's very hard, you know. And a great-grandson. You know, I, it's very, very hard. I mean, you're displaced. I mean, that's your home, your home where your family is. Even if I go there, I mean, I mean, I can stand the, the brutality and the stuff because we're used to it. But, you know, I mean, I cannot move all my families <laughs> You know, and uh, tell them to go live in there. But if you could do that, would you do it? Yeah, yeah, I would love. I mean, when I was in Gaza, I published my first book. It was uh, English language for second uh, for second um, learner, um, and I used to go from Gaza to Jerusalem. At that time, it was like Gaza is occupied. When it's occupied, Jerusalem is occupied, so you can move. Like you take a permission and you can move from place to place, you know, with the Israeli permission. So to print the book, I used to go to Jerusalem because at that time they have like special printer only in Jerusalem. I mean, when I look at the land and you know how beautiful it is, I mean, I used to cry the whole time from Gaza to Jerusalem, what I see and what the land and, you know, how it is taken away. And it's just feeling unfair. It's a very painful, you know, deep painful feeling. You know, nobody can stand it, you know. And, you know, it's just very hard, very, very hard. You know, you know when you say, like, I have sibling, I have, um, how many siblings? We are four girls and five, four boys or five boys. 
And some of us are allowed to go to Gaza, and some of us are not allowed. We are from the same parents, from the same father and mother. So Hawiya, the, we have the Hawiya, or we don't have the Hawiya, or you are allowed, or you are allowed. And, you know, and it's, you know, you're not allowed to go to your country. Like anybody can go to, to any tourist can go, but the Palestinian cannot go. I mean, maybe for me as American citizen, I can go, but I cannot go to Gaza via uh, Jerusalem. If I want to go visit Jerusalem, I cannot go to Gaza. You know, while any any Israeli or any other person can go. So, you know, I want to go to Jerusalem. I want to visit it. I visited it maybe one time. To, I mean, I visited Al-Aqsa twice, you know. And also it's very sad. Like you go pray and you hear ladies sitting next to the ladies section, you know, making dua for their kids to be released from jail or making dua for somebody who's dead or making... Like, it's very, very sad, like, you know. And now they are attacking them while they are praying. That's normal that they use, they do that all the time. I mean, but now with the social media, everybody can see. Before it was, nobody knows. That's what I'm saying. Like, I think a lot of people don't understand that this was always happening. It's just only, yeah. we're only seeing it now because of social media but this was this isn't anything new these are things yeah. that have been going on for over seven decades like i remember a story of our neighbor um i mean they used to go to to any house and if they see any men they kill them they kill all men so they were hiding the men like see so they hiding them either you know they have different ways of hiding them and you know so, the Israeli came and attacked one of the houses, and they didn't see anything, nobody. And uh, they were about to leave, and then a baby cried. When the baby cried, they looked for they found some men were hiding there, and they killed them all. So, they, you know, like shooting people was normal. was like, for them, is like a hobby. It's like, okay, yeah, shoot them. Just shoot them. You know, dead body, no mercy, nothing. You know, and of course, I mean, like many Palestinians, they went to Lebanon and Syria. They lived in poverty, even worse than, you know, poverty again. Some they went to Jordan, some to Lebanon, some to Syria. Some we were went to Gaza. Some of our family went to Jordan, like uh, different places. You know, and all of them suffered because they had to start from zero. You know, you know, from nothing. You know, no house, no shelter, no nothing. No medical care. I mean, no, of course. I mean, till now, the medical care is the worst in the world, I guess. Like a Shifa hospital, when we lived in 1973, I mean, when I had my first child, I mean, I just want to leave. Like I told them, I don't care if I have whatever I'm saying, I just want to leave. It's like uh, dirty, it's... No health care, you know, it's the worst ever. And imagine if there's also war, like for normal days it's bad. What if there war and like hundreds of injuries and dead people and it is like a disaster, you know, in there, the hospital. Yeah. I mean, this... These are just also a small portion 
of your experiences. Yeah, various. And even and and it's so. What's the most disturbing to me is that, like I said, I mean, you probably lived a total of eighteen years in Gaza, probably in total. Yeah, twenty years. Yeah. It's like like around somewhere around there, and like even, even during that shorter period of time of your life you still experience just constant violence constant trauma constant um you know displacement always having to move from place to place no safety and like we don't ever felt safe like i lived in gaza when i got married for almost two years i mean never one day like feel safe at home. Like when you go to sleep, you have um, your clothes next to you, just in case if they attack you, so you can have your clothes ready next to you. Um, and that's the case of everybody because we are ladies. We don't want to go with, you know, they attack. They don't wait for you to just get ready. You know, they attack you. It's the middle of the night, so you're just yeah, like wearing you, pajamas or something. If you're late, yeah. Then they'll think you are doing something yeah, yeah, inside. Yeah. So, I mean, my husband used to have night duties at the hospital, and I used to stay alone by my, in, in the house. And, uh, you know, uh, every day, like, I have to go to school, you know. And one day, I remember that day, I mean, I get ready to go to school. I went to the kitchen, had a cup of tea, and then the balcony is next to the kitchen. So I was, like, looking from the balcony, and I see, like, all the street, men and women, wearing circles outside all night under the dizzling like rain. And I said, what's going on? What is this? I mean, for me, it was a new experience. For them, they live there. Like, for me, I mean, it was something new. Like, because I mean... What, were they, what was happening? Like, they have the... I think they were looking for some people who, like, uh, some men... And so they, they were like kicking people so out of the house, out so they can search the houses. When they when they went to our the the owner of the, our building, they told them who's living on the third floor. They told them, okay, it's a, a new wed couple. The husband is in the hospital, and maybe his wife is with her family. So nobody's there. So they didn't tell. I mean, they thought nobody's there. So I mean, I was sleeping. The, the you know, I didn't hear anything. And then when I woke up in the morning, I found, like, everybody was outside. I remember the principal called me, like, uh, uh, you know, and land phone, and she said, okay, Friel, stay home, don't go anywhere, don't come, the Israeli Israel soldiers are all over the place. So, I mean, I was stuck in the house, I mean, thank God I was stuck in the house, other people were outside, with their pajamas and with their nightgowns and with their, like, they have one place for men and one place for women, and the kids were around. And, I mean, terrible situation. And next day, like, you hear the story, what's going on and what happened, and all, you know, like, everyday stories, like, Israeli attack, this died, this died, I mean, you know, like, death. Like, the only story is death or jail, death or jail. That's the stories that you hear all day long whenever you go any place, you know. So the kids, for them, the kids even now, you know, you see a kid, you don't feel he's a kid. Like, you know, when you go visit, I feel embarrassed sometimes, like, you know, you're scared from something and the three years old for him is, you know, you know, it's kind of 
this is our life. I mean, we're not, we're not children. I mean, we are, they are not children. Parents cannot stop the kids from going outside or like watching the rockets. Like I remember my nephew is in Gaza. I told him, you know, when the last war, he said, because the kids get very scared at night when the loud voices and airplanes and stuff. He said the only way to let them get used to it is when the rockets going on, when the when the F-16 is around, we take, take them out and we told them, we let them look at it. So they can have this fear, you know, when they sleep, that's, they see it. Uh, they use therapy with, for them. They use like... Exposure therapy? Yeah, like exposure therapy. Like showing them this is the yeah, thing exactly. that's making the noise. Before he used to so tell them... So that they them, can like identify yeah, it. Yeah, before they used to tell them it's only fireworks. So they lie to them. Like moms, they, they lie to yeah, their yeah. kids. But father, they said, no, we should not lie to them. We tell them these are regular dangerous rockets, but these are, you know, how they are. So the kids, at least they get, not get used to it, but they get tired, they sleep, you know. And either they survive or they don't survive. And there's no hiding place. In Gaza, there's no hiding. You cannot say, this lady, like the story of this lady, she went to her brother's house, thinking that's safer. So her husband did not go. She took her kids. She died. Her kids died. And all, even her brother, he survived. And all his family survived. So two men survived. And all the the mother, the two mothers and the kids, only one kid who's five months, he survived. They took him out from out of the rebels. So the rebels. So it is no hiding place. Gaza is very very intense and very dense place. Like houses are close to each other. If they demolish one building, the other building will not. You know, it should be the, I mean, nobody can live in it because it's also next to it, like demolishing houses, like hundreds of families live in the same apartments, like each apartment, maybe the father and the mother and the kids and their kids who are married and their grandkids live in one place. And this place, they got it after working for many, many years. They... Like with this guy, he said, thus, I mean, I used to eat the minimum food to to save some money to have this place. You know, it was not easy for them. So demolishing houses is the is a really brutal things, you know. And even if they run away, if they go hide in, a, in the school, they also attack the school. If they go to... To a hospital, a resource, they do the same. So if they go to the beach, to the sea, then they and and now they can't they can't leave. No, they can't. They cannot go anywhere. You know, the the only way of survival for people in Gaza is their families and relatives that live in different places, so they support them and so financially. That's the only many men who. Young men who have degrees and studied and everything, they cannot find even a job. So it's a daily struggle. It's a daily struggle. And uh, it's very difficult. Like you go there, you are in jail, a big open jail, but it's closed from all over. They cannot go anywhere. And they are under attack all the time. So 
So I don't know what they expect from people to, to do there and, you know, how the kids are going to be raised while they're talking about children rights and they're taking care sensitive to children feeling. I mean, these kids are kids too. They have feeling, but they cannot live as ch- children. Like if someone like this boy who was looking for his dad and his dad, you know, uh, died in front of him, what do you expect him to do? I mean, to be like normal kid, you know, and hundreds of kids like that. It's not one or two or three or four. It's just most of the kids. You don't see one family without either kids. There, Some people are in jail or they are killed. Not even one family, you know, all of them, you know. You know, from my family, I can tell stories. From different families, you can tell stories. You know, like I remember my my cousin, she has her house. She worked for 25 years. She built the house with her husband, and they demolished it completely, like to the ground, like even to the ground, like nothing. All the money that she saved were gone, you know. And she was not, thank God, she was not in the house. She was with her mom, and uh, they went and uh, the, 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 the house was demolished completely. Or they were luckier, maybe, because they were lives were saved, at least. That's the story. If you go there, like visiting, that's the only stories you hear, you know. So, and then the story of borders. Like borders, they make your life, like, you know, unbearable, you know, when you go visit. From Egyptian border to Israeli border to, like, it's, uh, it's another painful experience. You know, because you're trying to go to your home. Yeah, just trying to go visit, and they make your life. You know, for you trying to you, visit you the place. Go, you don't want to go. For again. trying to visit the country that you yeah, were born in, yeah, that your mother was you born cannot, in, that your grandmother was you born in. Go. You go there, and you always regret it. And you go there, and you always regret Just it. from, just at the border. Just like, you haven't even border. entered. No, without entering even. Because they, they make it that way purposefully. Yeah, it is uh, like uh, complicated political things, you know. Yeah, they just they don't want you to go, you know. And if you go there, then you just say they tell you from the beginning, the border are closed, you cannot go, and you stay you stay in under stress, you know, all the time. You don't enjoy a day of your visit, you know. They close the border. No, they open the border. You cannot go because of this. You cannot go because of that. I mean... Nothing is in your control. Nothing is your... You cannot plan. You cannot plan anything. So the minute you arrive, the minute you plan how to leave, and what should you do to leave, you know, when you go just for visiting. The last visit, I went for three days or four days, just you and me, because, you know, because sometimes... The border when closed, was the last time you went? For, for, for three to four months. So if you have a job, you lose your job. If you are family, you cannot go, you know, you know, cannot go back. Like my nephew, uh, you know, he, he lost his job because he got stuck in there. He couldn't leave. The border were closed for three months. He was planning to visit for two weeks. He stayed for a year and, you know, couldn't get out because they decided to close the border. So you cannot guarantee anything. Like suffering and struggling and, you know, 
and as many people who leave Gaza and go to Egypt or go somewhere else is just for either they have to go like they have chronic diseases or like they have most of them they have like my cousin she has cancer she has to have chemotherapy in Egypt so she has to go and sometimes she miss the the therapy because the border are closed so the, the you know you know she has to go back and forth and you know if they go to Israel hospital then they are even if it's a child he cannot his parents cannot go with him and should be a permission from Israeli and the Palestinian authority so they even if they are sick it's not easy but beside the sickness they cannot find the you know place to take them you know, each, uh, uh, hospitals in Gaza are not equipped for, uh, like, diseases like that, like uh, cancer. They don't have the resources. They don't. They don't have the, uh, any resources. They don't have, like, uh, radiation. They don't have uh, chemotherapy. They don't have this. So they have to go to Egypt. And to go to Egypt, they need money. And at the same time, the border should be open all the time. But the border is not open. All there's time. there's literal and figurative obstacles the whole all way. All the time. Everything is just all obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. Yeah, yeah. Like whatever obstacle they can get in the world, they put it in front of you. So, not normal life. I mean, I don't. I think like um, I don't know. There are too many suffering in the world. Like people are suffering all over. But the suffering of Palestinian is unbearable i mean i think this is the only maybe story that people were displaced you know and the world is not is you know is not saying anything about it is this is this issue is like this palestinian thing and they call it conflict what conflict that's not conflict like that's the war between civilians who you know have nothing and between the biggest army in the world like the strongest army in the world you know, yeah, it's not doesn't need a political uh, person because I don't like politics at all. I mean, I never liked it, but it's like if you take it from a human side, it's between justice and injustice, between uh, people who have rights and people who took their rights off. Them. It's a very clear oppressed and oppressor. Yeah, it is like you know, you know, it's just. Uh, I mean. It's just, I appreciate you sharing your stories with me, Mom, and with my audience who is going to freak out because I think that people thought I was making you up. No, I mean, this is, like, not the whole story. I don't like remembering, uh, like, very sad things. I know, which is why I stopped asking you questions about it. At the same time, you know... um, I don't. I forget a lot. I try to delete. You repress it. them. All the, she represses try, her memories, I guys. I like to delete. She like she. Delete, I like mean, delete. I I tell you this constantly that you have a lot of childhood trauma. It's a trauma. You 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 have quite a bit, understandably so, more so than the average person yeah. should ever have. Yeah. And I mean, I think your success. And who you are as a person is only a testament to... My story, I mean, is like not a single story. Like many, 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 many Palestinians have the same and even worse experience and more successful. There are many people who are even more successful than, you know, myself. And, 
because you know the you know we learn how to be resilient. We learn how to to uh, not to give up. Like we don't give up in life. We don't give up life. Like if you give up in life, I mean that's your end. You're, you're gone. But I mean if you just you have to ch the chance either to live or give up. So no, I will live and you know go on in life. That's the human nature, you know. Is there, I know that you've written a lot of poetry, yeah. like a lot, and your uncle is a very famous poet. Yeah, yeah. Is there a poem that either you or your uncle wrote that you wouldn't mind I mean, sharing, the, even if it's in Arabic? The, the, the most famous uh, poem that what we used to say it every day is Aidun Aidun and Inna La Aidun. فالحدود لن تكون والقلاع والحصون فاسرقوا يلاجئون إننا لا عدون. And there's another uh, poem that we learned at school صرخة لاجئ أنا لن أعيش مشردة أنا لن أظل مقيدة أنا صاحب الحق الكبير وصانع منه الغدا أنا صرخة كبرى تجلجل بالعواصف والردى uh, something like that. What does that mean? I mean, I know what it means. You know, um, like, I mean, uh, the Laji, because my, my uncle, that's my uncle, so he said, he started his poetry like this. He started with Laji'een, like Laji'een refugees, and then he say, Lauda, uh, return. So it's just, you know, actually, his poems give life to, to, to us. Like, we used to just... You know, love poetry because it gives us the enthusiasm just to, we're going to be living, we're going to live, we're going to go, we're going to return, we're going to return. So first he felt sorry, and then he said, no, 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 it's return. And then he started, like, you know, mixing, like, give hope to people that you are a refugee, but you're going to return. But the most famous that I love it the most, the most is Sanarjo um, Ila Hayina. That's when he started... Diwan uh, al The first diwan for him, the first uh, book was Ma'al uh, Ghuraba with the with the strangers, like Ghuraba, the aliens, the one who left their country. And then he has Aouda to Ghuraba, return, al return. So he said, Sanarjaw yawman ila hayina wa nagraqu fi دافئات المنى سنرجع خبرنا العندلي بغداة التقينا على منحنا. so he said we'll go back and to our country. so he gave hope that we're gonna. this is beautiful that Fairuz had this song. it's a beautiful song. I have it on a playlist that I created called Palestini Resistance that I'll put in the episode description. I mean this kind of literature and helped us. Have the spirit. I think it was kind of therapy for us. Kind of, yeah. We not feel sorry for ourselves, like you know, because we're gonna have hope. We're gonna go back. We're gonna return. We, you know, just always give hope, and that's I think build our personality. You know, we will never we acknowledge the 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 how strong the word is, like how poetry and things just you know very important. We're very important in our life. And even now, words and language yes, yes, yes. are the most important the, tool yeah. that we have. That's, that's now the social media is making even you know full awareness of the story of you know people started thinking even 
you know, people who don't watch that because the media that was only the TV and the TV always give doesn't give the story. But with the social media, you cannot hide things like, you know, somebody of Israeli attack any house, everybody take a phone and take a picture and take videos and, you know, beside the media, beside other kind of, you know, TV media or stuff like the poor reporter and stuff like that. So the truth will not mean what going behind the screen could be, you know, nobody can reach it, like jails and prisons and stuff like that. But it's still, you know, uh, the reality goes. I mean, no people are aware of it, like full aware of it now. Before it was kind of like hiding, like nobody knows that much about it. If there, if I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who live in Palestine, who live in Gaza. What would you say to them? I mean, well, tell them they are really heroes. They are like you, we feel, I don't feel sorry for them, not sorry, like sorry because they, you know, we we honor them, like Fakhri, uh, and we are just proud of them. Like they, they can get out of rebels and, you know, and live again. I mean, collect themselves and live again. And they make life out of nothing. So these people are, like, they should be, if the world, if the world is fair, they should all of them called heroes. Even the youngest child is a, uh, the hero. A youngest child who's traumatized and go back to school without therapy, without counseling, is a hero. I mean... If someone uh, watch anything like an accident somewhere or in, in another country, they will send him to therapies and things and like that. But, I mean, a child whose his parents are dead and whose neighbors are dead and whose whatever are dead, and he goes back to school and he's still playing, I mean, that's a hero. Like, how can he get out of the rebels and live a normal life? I mean, I really don't know. Like, when I go for a week, I said, how do these people live? No electricity, no basic life. And still, they can create something and make life out of death. I mean, you know, these are like, you know, they're just heroes, you know. I mean, mean, we pray for them, you know, and uh, support them, you know, as much as we can. And I think that a lot of them are going to feel, I hopefully, seen and represented through your voice and through your stories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because I mean, uh, generation after generation. I mean, if it will be like that's how the people when they did they give Israel Palestine, they thought like this generation will die, like yep. my parents will die, and they are already dead. But they will, nobody will fight again, khalas, that's it. Like, I remember my grandfather, I mean, also again, he used not to tell us, you know, I mean, as I said before, he did, didn't teach us hatred, and that's what makes us strong, I guess. Like, not accepting, like, you know, how am I going to say it? Like, he used to have the key of his house always in his in his pocket, and he tell us, this is my house key, and I'm going to go back. And if they open the border, I'm going to go walking. And we were children. He said, walk where? Where is his hand? Like, you know, 
you know, why he has a key? And it, the keys at that time are big, like big keys, mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. different than the keys now. So he's always having it in his pocket, you know, thinking that he's going to go back. My mom always, when she cleaned her closet and she has this, you know, the thing, the covers that she has had made from her wedding. She was like a newly wedding, so she has all her stuff new. She she said, oh, when we collect, when I collected them, I thought we're gonna go back in two days. The chicken were in the the garden, and the 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 people were the builders were building the house, and you know everything was life normal life. And we thought I'm gonna go for a week or so, and then the war stop, and we'll go back. They never thought that they will not go back. I mean, you know, that's the saddest thing ever. And even. Though, I would say you have a very strong love of Palestine, but you're not the most cultural person, just in general. You're not a very, like, you appreciate culture, you love culture, but, like, culture isn't very, um, isn't something you emphasize on too much. For me, culture is what acceptable for me. Right, no, that's what I'm you saying. Know, but whenever I go to, but even like you can say, food is culture. Right, yes, so you I love mean, making Palestinian yes, food, exactly. But even though in our house, you you never like sat me down and said, "Let me tell you about Palestine." No, mm -mm. yeah, because you got it. You got it. I mean, from watching, like uh, you know, you know. I mean. Sometimes you don't need to say it, verbalize it. Maybe we are not very verbal telling, but I mean, that's why my parents were, they always quiet. I don't know if they have money, if they don't, if they're poor, if they're not. I mean, I can tell, but I never seen them complaining or like, uh, you know, never. I mean, I never heard my mom complaining or my father complaining, but I can tell because since I am the eldest, I mean, if they can't get me stuff that I need or they can't, I mean, I can't tell, you know. And, uh, I mean, I'm more watching when I was young than talking. We just, I mean, but I don't remember that going outside. And Did playing. you used to feel nervous that your kids were going to grow up in America and not, and not feel connected to Palestine? Um, was that something that you were worried about? I mean, many, many people, they're just um, in the melting pot. They're gone. I mean, they forget everything. I'm sure they are. But, you know, like you you live still Palestinian life. Like, you know, we speak the language. We have all over pictures of Palestine. It's true. There's a map of Palestine right in Palestine, front of me. Palestine. And um, uh, we talk about it. We have the food. We you connect with your aunts and uncles and stuff. And. I took you. I took my kids like um, four or five times to Gaza. I let them experience the life on the borders. Although I had an American citizen, it's but, true. But I didn't ask. I, I didn't do use the luxury of the American citizen. She took I, us to Palestine and did not let us use our American passports to know, enter, so that we could experience what it's like you know, to be a Palestinian entering their own and land. It, it was very, very bad, very, very strong, like a painful experience for two days. A day, two days and a night. I was like five years old. Yeah, you were on my lab and, you know, I mean, I remember and, you know, they didn't, you know, they gave us hard time they, with, the, with the Palestinian document 
And then at the end, after, you know, a night, you spend the night on the border and a day, two days on one night, day and night on another day. You know, at the end, I said, enough is enough. You know, I mean... You had five kids with you or yeah, six kids with I you. I told them, by the way, I have the American passport. You know, that's another. I became a different person at that time. So the kids will, yeah. I mean, yeah, you were alone. Dad didn't come with us. I'm yeah. not really sure why, but it was just you and six kids. Yeah. Like I've said before, I truly don't understand how you had six kids and did anything, but you tried to cross the border with six kids also. Because, see, this is the challenge. I mean, I don't want myself to be a Palestinian while other Palestinians are, like, you know, sitting on the border. They don't know what the future is going to bring them on what day they're going to stay. And I'll just be, like, go in a car and I'll be a local. Like, I mean, I don't want that. I don't want my kids to feel, you know, uh, you know different. So, but at the end, when I when we left after two days and one night sleeping on the border, I, I mean the the other people were staying still there. So you know, we stayed. And I'm night. sure you didn't show them the passport for any reason other than you. I'm sure I was crying. And, you know, everybody was and, telling me the people around me said just they were feel sorry for for you, for the kids, and they said okay, just show your passport and get out of here. Just show your passport and get out of here. I said no, I'm not. I mean, I just want to feel like, you know, why should I be, be like, watch you suffering and I'll not at least share something with you? I mean, and, and at the same time, I want my kids to, to watch, you know. You know I have no, I don't remember anything. To have I, that's, empathy. The for, memories I have are very, like, few of being in Gaza. I remember something. You used to say, I want my Baba. I that's, mean, I, I do love thing. Baba a lot. Yeah, that's if I the haven't only mentioned thing. It. You, you didn't know anything was going on. But, you know, just to say, you know, I want my Baba. That's your very angry. And at that time, I was studying for my PhD, and I had to do to submit an assignment and that the border closed and it was deadline so I have to get like federal across Tel Aviv and send I don't know how much maybe three hundred dollars just to send the assignment to to uh, to America and then when I came my professor said Friel why did you do that I mean I understand you you know couldn't get out of the border and I said I don't want to to be delayed to, you know, on my degree, because I expected to leave in two weeks, and now I stayed there for a month or even more. We stayed there for a month. I mean, I don't know how long, but it was not the expected time. I right. I expected to leave, and you know, before I mean, it was the end of my degree, I guess, at that time. So, I mean, the border were closed. That's why we stayed longer. And the the card, the Palestinian or card, this is called like you know document, kind of yeah, the Hawiya. like uh, ID, the yeah. ID card. Uh, we were waiting for it and it get delayed, and you know it's the stories, you know. Yeah. yeah, we got. I took you because of the ID card, so because that's to prove that you are Palestinian citizen. That's the only proof that you are Palestinian citizen. 
you know. So you wanted to get those, yeah. you wanted us to all yeah, have those documents. they said you have to go there to get the ID. So I went, we went there to get the ID card for citizenship. So if we return back to Palestine, Palestine, that's to prove that you are Palestinian. I mean, there's also a lot of other proof, like how much I can project my voice. I'm very good. And also I eat peppers like candy. Uh, no. <laughs> That's not um, a proof. They want documents. But they can watch me just eat a jalapeno like it's an apple. The Indian, they eat jalapeno. So they are... So I'm, I could be Indian. Who can say for sure? I could be anything. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, mom, thanks for, for sharing your, your very unique genre of Palestinian emo, which is what I like to call it. And to be honest with you, I joke about it because if I don't, I will cry. Honestly, I really will cry. I almost cried like 20 times while we were recording this because it's... You know, I don't want to tell very sad stories because I'm gonna. That's what I'm saying. Like these aren't interrupt me. These aren't even this. These aren't even. These are not like the the saddest stories you've mentioned. These are just like casual in passing stories. Like the 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 stories that I've heard you say, whether you were telling it to me or to someone, or you were on the phone with someone, are horrific. They are. Um. So, but I mean, either way, I appreciate you sharing your story because I know I'm watching you and I know that this isn't easy or enjoyable to talk about, but I think it's important that people hear it. And I know that you feel that way because like I said, you've declined every other invitation I've given you to come on my show. And this was the first time you've ever said yes. So I hope if you're listening to this, if you have no connection to Palestine, if you don't know anything about Palestine, hopefully hearing my mother's story will be the reason why you start to care and and want to see change for people who are suffering. Um, Mom doesn't have anything to plug. She's not on social media. In fact, she hates social media. Um, as always, you could follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will not see a recent picture of my mother because she will stab me. You will see an old picture of her because that's acceptable. She's a very mysterious woman. Um, and as always, you could follow me on Instagram at Nori. Mom, do you have anything that you want to say before you go? No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> do you. Do you have a Palestinian goodbye that you would like to say? Yeah, uh, And on that note, guys... To quote my, my mother, Salam alaikum. Talk to you guys next Sunday.